Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 388. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here with us today. And I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest, Robert Plotkin. You know, Robert, I just realized I never asked you if that was the right way to pronounce your last name. It is Plotkin. Robert Plotkin, who is the founder of Technology for Mindfulness. Listeners, we got into an awesome pre-chat chat, and that was like the last thing on my mind. We were talking about cats and kids and goats and kid goats <laughs> and uh, just a whole and chronic idea disorder. And that's going to circle back around, I'm sure. But Robert, I would love for you to give a better introduction than what I just provided, because you know your story so much better than anybody else possibly could, and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. And thanks so much, Kim, for having me on the podcast. I launched Technology for Mindfulness, which is a blog, a podcast, and uh, also we're going to be launching some mindfulness exercises that people can practice to help them learn how to be more focused and mindful and productive in their use of technology. I launched it because I've been using computer technology for 35 years. I started programming as a kid, studied computer science at MIT, went on to become actually a patent lawyer, focusing on patent protection for computer technology. My whole life has been you know, a big love affair with technology. And at the same time, I found over the years that computers for me went from being tools that I went to in order to be more focused, more creative, more in the zone, and more mindful. I used to write code, and also I was always a creative writer. And back in the 80s, when I would sit down at a computer, I'd find I could really sit and stay focused and present and single-minded for hours at a time. I remember this is before the internet, before yeah, computers. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I mean, that's <laughs> when I started using computers too. When I was in elementary, we had the first apples. Well, not the first apples, but the Apple IIs or the Apple IIes. And I remember those days of sitting down and getting really zoned in and really focused on something. But then it all changed. It all changed. I lived through that transition where I found these were really beloved <laughs> tools to me, my whatever my personal computer was at the time. I started out with an Atari 800, which is a yep. real kind of a low-end personal computer, you know, and went up through the ranks. But as they got more connected to the internet and shrunk in size and sped up and started being capable of multitasking, I found the computers were distracting me more and more, stressing me out more and more. I actually, you know, I wrote a book, uh, which I worked on from around 2000 to 2009. I often would go away from a computer and write on with pen and paper in order to stay focused. You know, I found that 
what I loved about computers was disappearing in front of my eyes. It was like they were transforming, you know, like a Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> Maybe that's why my book isn't written yet, because I've been trying to write it on my computer instead of writing it in my journal. And you're so right. It's very no hard. No pun intended there, but <laughs> that's why it's not getting written, because it's, I just need to turn off all the distractions. Yeah. So this is one of the things you can do. And this is what motivated me to launch technology for mindfulness was I knew that computers and by computers, I mean, smartphones and all other kinds of devices, they have a great potential to be tools that can help us be more focused, present, mindful, creative, productive, happy, connected with each other. But the direction in which they've been developed and marketed in the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years even, has taken them in, in really the opposite direction. You know, they've moved towards trying to, what I'd say is steal our attention away from us and our own goals and intentions towards uh, what the vendors want to get us focused on, which is often in a state where we're bouncing from one thing to another. And those things we're bouncing between aren't necessarily what we want to be paying attention to at the moment. So technology for mindfulness, we write a lot about very practical tips people can use to stay more focused and connected and present and productive. We interview people and we promote practices that people can engage in to regain their own focus. A big part of what I found uh, is helpful for me is to develop and maintain strong mental habits of mindfulness and otherwise so that I can maintain my own intention in the course of, of a busy day. And I want to make really clear, you know, I'm someone who's dedicated to continuing to use technology. I'm not advocating that we throw it out or stop using it but instead that we try to find a middle ground, in fact, to try to get the best of both worlds. I often, for myself, think about how can I get all of those benefits of what we think of now as primitive technology from the 80s? <laughs> how can we combine the best of that with the best of today, which is high-speed internet, mobile devices, ability to connect constantly, but balance the two of them in the ways that we want to individually to promote our own goals. Absolutely. My youngest children, who are three-year-old twins and a four-year-old, can't stand my cell phone. I will not hide the fact that even our youngest know how to get into our phones, find their apps, and play on them. But they can't stand mine because I've removed just about everything but the necessity and I have notifications turned off for just about everything. And the same goes on my computer. If you or anybody tries to Facebook message me, the only one that I get notified about real time is my husband. Because for some reason, he won't text message me. He will Facebook message me. Drives me crazy. <laughs> so they get all excited when their brothers are here and they have their phones and they have wrapped them around their fingers so that they can have all their their little games on there and everything. But I've had a struggle with my 15 year old, his chore, we don't have a dishwasher in our house, except for one that's named Jacob. And he'll be working on doing dishes, even on days when there's not very many, but he'll have his phone 
in his hand trying to do the dishes. And mind you, again, I said, we don't have a dishwasher. We have a a (laughs) double-sided sink, you know, so it's pretty hard to do the dishes with your phone in your hand. And I've tried to explain to him, do you realize how much faster you could have this done if you focused, put your phone away, got off, you could have it done in half an hour, the whole kitchen, even for the seven of us in a half hour versus the two and a half hours that it just took you plus the unnecessary waste of water. Yeah, it's been very well documented now that multitasking, although it can feel to us when we're doing it, like we're being more efficient because we're doing multiple things at the same time. In fact, it's much less efficient, can also be more stressful and actually results in us making more errors than if we were to focus on one thing at a time. And I always tell people the scientific studies that have looked at this show something surprising, which is when people are asked how good they are at multitasking, the people who say they're better at it are actually worse. People have the wrong impression of their own ability to multitask effectively. Oh, I love that you brought that up. When I started my business in 2012, I was a virtual assistant and don't ask me what I was thinking. I have no idea. But I, on the proposals that I was sending out, I'd let people know I was excellent at multitasking. Actually, to be more appropriate or to be more accurate, I believe I actually wrote, and I'm embarrassed by this now, I'm a woman, therefore I multitask. Well, and I mean, when was this? That was 2012. So the internet was still, you know, it was already... It was a virtual assistant position. So I was online being distracted by activities all day. What I should have said was that I have the ability to turn on a dime, which is still multitasking because you can only focus on one activity realistically at a time. But I believe that's where we get confused sometimes. The ability to change activities still eats up our efficiency if you go from project A to project B, you still have to get acclimated and you have to remember where you were and you have to get settled and you can lose, maybe you know the number, but I think there's something like eight to 10 minutes to really start getting in the groove of whatever you're working on. So every time you change activities, that happens. And when you're trying to do more than one activity at once, I think I've heard that just adding one more activity to your plate takes away 20% of your efficiency right away. Yeah, I think this is all true. It can take a long time to switch to a new activity. It can take, I've heard statistics anywhere from three to 15 minutes. If you're interrupted from engaging in an activity where you were very focused, you know, you were in that state of flow or in the zone. Yeah. If you get interrupted, and it may not be by technology, maybe by someone knocking on your door. Children. <laughs> Children. <laughs> uh, to get back into that deep state of focus can take five, 10, 15 minutes, quite a long time. And There are ways in which mindfulness practice can help with this. One of them is to practice working on the transitions from one state to another. I know, you know, if you're like me, you probably often jump 
quickly from one task to another. Now, maybe there is some benefit to doing one task, finishing it, and then doing the next rather than trying to multitask on them quickly. There can also, though, be a benefit both for how grounded you feel, but also how productive you are to pause, even if it's for a few breaths in between. It might only take 10, 15 seconds before you launch into that new task mindlessly. Stop, breathe, you know, maybe three times and think, you may even say it out loud. What am I about to do? Uh, ask yourself, why am I about to do this? You know, what's my goal? This doesn't have to take a long time, but focusing in that kind of present moment on what your intention is for what you're about to do can help you get into it actually more quickly. There's a lot of paradoxes like this with mindfulness practice where pausing and slowing down like that can actually help you then achieve your next task more quickly overall. You know, there's not a contradiction between slowness and speed in that way, you know, compared to just launching into the next thing without thinking about what your intention is for doing it or exactly what it is you're about to do. So I would recommend to people that they try this Whenever you're about to switch from one task to another, see if you can, one, be aware of the fact that, oh, I'm about to switch to a new task. And that's something that mindfulness practice can help you to do, to remember, to bring your attention to the fact that you're about to switch so that you can then pause, bring your attention to what you're about to do, and then engage in it in a more present, focused, grounded way. Oh, I absolutely love that. Just the past month or two of the podcast has brought a couple other practices into my life. For example, when I wake up in the morning, often it's to the kids who are potty training saying that they have to go pee, which is not, there's a point to me sharing this. So that had always for the longest time, I mean, year four of the oldest of the youngest now, so this has been a couple of years of this going on. And that was always my first thought. And then I would jump, let them out of their room and then get on with the day. But just in the past couple of weeks, when I hear that, this is not meant to be child torture, people, <laughs> but actually laying in bed and being grateful and doing my morning meditation or prayers, you know, this is how I'm going to start my day. And it's taken some effort and some and I mean effort in that I had to be really, well, mindful and mm-hmm. not just jumping out of bed and rushing into it. So how do you recommend for us to remember to actually take that five, 15 seconds in between? Because when we are, oh, I'm just going to use myself as an example. See, I told you I have multiple thoughts that I string together at one time. <laughs> when I have clients that are, you know, mid launch and they are messaging me because they are the only ones that do text me, messaging me to get them the statistics or have you done this yet? Have you done this yet? Sometimes it can be hard to remember, you know, well, I've never tried, but I can only imagine. I don't see how I'm going to remember to take that break before I move on to the next one. So what would you recommend for us to remember? Yeah, the thing I would recommend is to practice the remembering. Now, that may sound strange, 
But I say it because just knowing that it would be a good idea to take a break is helpful. But that intellectual knowledge is not necessarily likely to kick in when you need it. You're in the middle of your hectic day, you know, whatever time it is, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, you've been rushing around and then something grabs your attention, the child or the email, you know, or a text message. The fact that your mind knows intellectually that it would be a good idea to take a break is not necessarily going to cause you to recall that at the moment when you need it. In fact, if you're like me again, you know, you might find at the end of the day, once you've had a chance to slot, stop and slow down, you might then think back to all the times during the day when you just raced from thing to thing. And you think, why didn't I remember to pause, you know, when that when the kid told me she had to go potty or when the email. Yeah. So that's why it's necessary to actually practice. What does that mean? So I told you we've developed a course called Tap Into Mindfulness, has a whole bunch of exercises developed based on traditional mindfulness meditation, but that help you practice pausing with your technology. It's very much like, you know, if you want to build up your bicep strength, you can think about it, but that's not going to make your bicep stronger. What do you do? You practice, you do yeah. bicep curls. Yeah. <laughs> you do it, you do it, you do it. And then when you go to lift something in your life, your biceps are stronger because you've practiced, right? That you've built up the strength. So here's an example. You can pick up your phone now. I hope it's been away <laughs> while we're talking. <laughs> Actually, I don't even know where my phone is. Good. Okay. But you know, to people listening, here's an example. You know, this is one of the exercises that tap into mindfulness, but it's the kind of thing you can do when you're not in the middle of your busy day, right? This is like doing the bicep curls at the gym so that when you go to pick up the grocery bag in your day, the practice that you've done, that you've set aside outside kicks in when you need it. You can pick up your phone and think about something that triggers you on your phone to act mindlessly or automatically that you'd like to be able to pause in response to. You know, it might be something as simple as picking up your phone and seeing, you know, a badge on your email icon that shows you there's emails waiting for you. You know, that might be something where normally when you see it, you just tap on the email and you launch mindlessly into using it and you'd like to be able to pause instead. So you can pick up your phone look at that email icon and hold the phone. And people listening, you can do this right along with us now. Hold the phone, look at it, and don't tap. You can even, and you know, I know people often, <laughs> this elicits nervous laughter from people. Take your thumb, move it towards that icon, but stop your thumb before you tap, or your pointer finger, whatever you would normally use. Stop, pause, Pay attention, breathe, and now pay attention to your own experience while you're paused. What are you thinking? You know, what are you feeling? Particularly things like, you know, has your breath changed? Has it become more shallow or faster? Has your heart rate gone up? This is very analogous to what you would do in a sitting mindfulness meditation without your phone, but you're doing it with the phone. You're practicing pausing. Put the phone down, put it to sleep, 
pick it up again, do the same thing, put it down, do this 10 times. That's like your 10 bicep curl reps. Okay. And if you practice pausing when you see the icon instead of tapping on it, the hope is that the more you do that, the more likely it is that when you're racing through your hectic day and you pick up the phone, <laughs> you see the email icon and you start moving your finger towards it, that practice will kick in and you'll be more likely to actually pause like you did when you were practicing. Oh, I love that. I actually set a reminder for my phone and Listeners, if you've probably already heard me, if this is not your first episode, you've probably heard me talk about this before, but I have reminders that pop up on my phone. I believe it's every hour and a half and it's a, it's my mantra. And I believe I've got that down now. That's not what I believe because I know I have that down now, but now you've inspired me to actually change that reminder to say pause, Mm -hmm. simply say pause. And there's a, a special chime that comes along with it. So now, what is it, Pavlovian? The um, Pavlovian. Yeah, thank you. I've already got it ingrained. Maybe I need to change the time, but I have that ingrained, that sound. It knows, or I know that it's my mantra, but maybe I choose a new chime now that is the pause chime. Yeah, and I'd encourage, if people feel discouraged, you know, it's very common to feel pretty hopeless about this because the way that technology triggers us is so strong, you know, it can feel like, oh, there's no way I can change this habit. You know, the pull of the smartphone is just too strong. But I'd encourage people to give it some time. As you said, you know, you've developed a habit. It probably didn't happen in one day. Oh, heck no. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, you may practice any of these practices, you know, just pausing, pausing, and then practicing with your phone, whatever it is, you may find it takes a week, two weeks, a month, whatever time it takes. So what I'm saying is if you practice this and you don't see any result after a day or five days, I'd encourage you not to be discouraged. Also anticipate, you know, you might actually have some negative effects initially, you know, doing the kind of practice I mentioned where you're looking at the phone and you're looking at something that grabs your attention, maybe makes your heart rate go up, gets you stressed out. You know, this may actually induce some additional stress <laughs> for a while. You know, I suggest to people, encourage people to keep working through that. It's very normal and typical to expect that almost taking a step backward before you take a couple of steps forward. We know from all kinds of uh, behavioral psychology that it can take, you know, 20, 30, 40 times, usually with some delay in between, you know, like a day in between for these habits to really start to cement in our minds. And then, uh, you know, it's different for everybody. But it's usually necessary then to keep maintaining them by practicing. You may not need to practice as much once you've cemented the habit as you did in that initial phase. You know, I'll tell you, a lot of people these days, I know particularly a lot of people younger than me, don't actually use the phone as a phone. But I still get a lot of phone calls on my phone. And I found, this is a few years ago, that sound of the phone ringing 
was really triggering for me. It was anxiety producing. I often picked up the phone immediately. And then I found, you know, I wasn't as focused or present on the call as I wanted to be. So I practiced, I trained myself to respond with a pause to the phone ringing. And it's great, you know, on the iPhone, I could go into the settings of the phone, pick my phone ringing sound and tap on the name and the phone would make the ringing sound (laughs) as if someone were calling me. I love that you brought that up. I found that Skype and Slack were my triggers. Mm-hmm. That I felt like I had to respond immediately. And that was a big source of my multitasking was somebody Skypes me. And I don't mean they call me. I mean, they just send me a message. And I felt like I needed to respond immediately. And it took me four years to get out of that. People mm-hmm. can wait mm-hmm. Some people get impatient waiting these days, you know, they don't realize we might have a life or a business or a family or anything outside of their Skype or Facebook Messenger conversation, but they can wait. Mm -hmm. If it's an emergency, you'll learn, you know. Right. And this is actually something that we've had to be teaching to our kids, too, is remember that story, the boy who cried wolf? Yes. I mean, when you're constantly blowing up my Skype and my Facebook, I'm going to begin to not take your messages so seriously. I hate to say it like that. (laughs) Because not everything is an emergency. So what I ended up doing was just taking myself to unavailable or even invisible. And I will check it at my own leisure. And it felt so much better. I want to touch upon what you uh, were talking about, though, with sometimes feel like you take a couple steps back before you move forward. Mm -hmm. I actually had to practice sleep. And I know this might sound funny, but between when my twins were born in early 2015 and July of 2016, I got into a nasty habit of sleeping two to three hours a night consistently. Mm -hmm. And when I was sleeping, I felt like there were 30,000 other things I should be doing, but my effectiveness went down so much. And then I, I literally hit rock bottom and I fell upon a couple of great mentors who strongly reinforced the need for sleep. But that took practice because I would find myself in bed thinking about the gazillion things I needed to be working on. But what I found was, and what I, what I still find today is that by practicing healthy sleep habits, I'm able to focus more during the day. Yes. You know, this is a really common pattern. First of all, problems with sleep are really at an epidemic level, at least in this country. They are. You know, and as I said, I'm an MIT alumnus and it's a real big problem there. Although at least, you know, I was there in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. It may still be true. It was a real source of pride for people, uh, you know, how little they slept. You know, people would compete with each other on how little they got to sleep. You know, it was a, we would often, you know, hey, I just pulled an all-nighter last night. Hey, I pulled two all-nighters in a row or something. I was an <laughs> architecture student. Yeah. So I totally get it. How many hours have you slept this week? One. <laughs> right. And that That was something people would brag about, you know, but now we don't need to look at research alone to show us how damaging that is to our bodies and our minds so we can just feel it. But I think there is an aspect of our culture, you know, that uh, values more over 
just more, 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 right? There's a deep cultural belief that the longer you work, the more hours you work, the more valuable you are, or that the more productive you are. And it's quantity over quality. Right. You know, and I think there's a place for looking at the scientific research on this to show that you reach a point of diminishing returns in many ways, the longer you work and the less you sleep. But we can also just pay attention to our own experience. It sounds like you did that too. You know, there is some mindfulness too, where we don't have to necessarily look at what a scientific study tells us. We can just pay attention to our own bodies and minds when we're lacking in sleep and find that we don't feel good, we're less focused, we're less productive. There's all kinds of negative impacts that we can find just by paying attention to our own internal experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also found that leading right up to hitting rock bottom and listeners, if this is your first episode, I want to encourage you to listen to episode five at thekimsutton.com pp005. And it talks about what I went through. But I was suicidal when I hit rock bottom due to sleep deprivation. And a major part of coming out of that was removing myself from all technology at least an hour before bedtime. And my bookshelves are now overflowing with real books. <laughs> you know, I'm not screen sucking in that last hour. I'll get authors who want to come on to the podcast and they'll try to send an ebook version of the book note to authors who want to come on to the podcast. I don't read ebooks. If you want me to read your book, then I need a physical copy because that is when I read that gets my mind calm and puts me into peaceful sleep. But the blue screens, and I know that there's technology that can remove that, it still is stimulating your brain right before bedtime. You don't need to be reading an email or a text message or your Facebook updates right before you go to sleep with or without a blue screen. Yeah, I mean, so whether or not you thought of it this way, I think you were practicing mindfulness there and that you noticed that you felt better, more relaxed, more inclined towards sleep when you read a physical book than when you read an ebook. And so you made a choice to not read ebooks and only read physical books before sleep. You know, yeah. this is the kind of thing that can result from just paying attention to our own experience and feelings and not being just on autopilot. I mean, I want to suggest to people, we've both talked about what our experiences and triggers are. You know, I said phone ringing, uh, you said Skype. You know, these are examples, and I've had some really good mindfulness teachers who have always repeat when they're guiding a meditation, for example, to say, Look, the things I'm pointing out to you to notice are just examples. In the end, what's important is that you notice what you're actually experiencing. So someone listening right now, you know, I would suggest maybe tomorrow or maybe the rest of this day, pay attention to what, let's say, triggers from your smartphone get you stressed out, you know, get, make your heart rate spike. Whatever it is, it might be something that Kim and I have not mentioned at all. <laughs> it might not be the phone ring. It might not be Skype or Facebook. or It might be something else. But all that's important is that it's what triggers you. 
And it's by paying attention to how you feel moment to moment throughout the day that you'll find what that trigger is for you. And then you can apply anything that we've talked about, you know, limiting your exposure to that trigger at certain times or places, practicing pausing when that trigger arises. But the important thing is that you don't practice responding with a pause to the phone ringing just because I said it. (laughs) If that's not something that triggers you or that's even part of your life at all. I love that you brought that up. Yeah, everybody has their own trigger. Thank you. They may change over time. You know, it can always be helpful to hear what other people's experiences are, but only if you then test that against your own experience to see whether it's true for you. Absolutely. Robert, where can people learn more about you and and get in touch and get a hold of your resources and your books? Yeah, the hub is Technology for Mindfulness, which is at technologyformindfulness.com. There's a blog there. We post frequently about all the kinds of things I've been talking about. We do weigh things pretty heavily towards practical tips for being more focused uh, and mindful in our use of technology. We also talk a lot about the scientific basis for mindfulness and also the neuroscience behind how our brains and bodies respond to technology. We are very much focused on how can we move our use of technology in a positive direction. Of course, we point out a lot of the problems with technology, but really the goal is to help us all learn how to use technology in a way that's better and more healthy for us, and also to nudge the development of technology in a more positive direction. Oh, I, I love that. Yeah, and it we can all benefit from that nudge. You know, I just saw that Google at its conference announced a bunch of new features. We'll be writing about it soon on Technology for Mindfulness. A bunch of new features that will make it easier for people to be more mindful. There's going to be uh, built in basically easier ways to manage notifications or block uh, notifications for helping people track their use of technology. And a lot of the big vendors, it took them a long time. But, you know, Apple, Google, Microsoft in their smartphone operating systems and the desktop computer operating systems have been building in many more ways in which you as the user can control how and when you're interrupted or distracted. Sometimes these settings are kind of hidden. You know, they're not promoted very widely. Mm-hmm. So you have to seek them out. But they're there. This is a lot of what we teach about a technology for mindfulness. Interestingly, we have our own podcast. (laughs) We're very much like this. I interview people, often mindfulness teachers, sometimes entrepreneurs or people from technology vendors who are developing a technology that promotes mindfulness, writers who write about this from a cultural or social perspective, anthropologists, neuroscientists. You know, we interview people and we're posting new episodes every other week. And then stay tuned at technologyformindfulness.com for the Tap into Mindfulness course, which will be an online course 
uh, for teaching these mindfulness exercises you can engage in to practice and develop the habits for pausing and being more mindful in how you use your smartphone and other devices. Oh, I love that. Listeners, you can find all of the links at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP388. I have to say, Robert, perhaps it's because I've never been properly taught or trained, but I've never been able to get that down. So I'm really interested because, I mean, I'm just during our conversation, I've been here taking a breath and I know I'm not changing activities, but just thinking about, hmm, I'm going to be actively working on that today. I actually have a couple, I have my mantra written onto my laptop with a Sharpie. I know some of you are probably like, oh, I can't believe you did that. But I'm thinking about putting a post-it on right here on my screen. Pause or break, you know, just something that's constantly in my face to remind me. Yeah. And you you can use technology to do it. I mean, this is one of the things I love <laughs> about technologies. We can use it to help counteract some of its own negative impacts. You can set that reminder on a timer on your phone. There are actually apps you can use specifically designed to set reminders for you to be present. They'll ring a really calming sounding bell, maybe put up a word like pause or something else. And I'd suggest that I really like that you said you're going to integrate it into your day. For people who feel wary of traditional mindfulness practice or the word meditation rubs them the wrong way, or they think about it as something where they need to sit down in the morning for an hour, you know, and be still, of course, that is a, one way to practice it. But, you know, I would encourage people to start from the opposite direction. The smallest possible thing that you can do and do it without setting aside any time in your day is whenever you can remember, like let's say right now, <laughs> you know, you can always pause and take even one deep breath. Okay, let's do it now. Inhale and very slowly exhale. So that took like 10 seconds. And you know, I'd ask people, if you do that, does it have any positive impact? I mean, I, I just felt a little more relaxed. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt my shoulders drop a notch and it's only 10.52 a.m. I don't know why my shoulders were, you know, when I am jumping from one activity to the next during the day, I feel like by the end of the day, my shoulders are touching my earlobes. <laughs> right, they're on the ceiling. Yeah, know? they are. But just that act, and I've realized that over my journey is just by allowing myself to work in peace, that my shoulders stay more where they should be. I can't say they stay where I should be. All I need is for 3.15 to come and my kid's the school age ones get home and all of a sudden they go up two notches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, that's amazing. I also, for anybody who hears meditation and gets overwhelmed, which is what was happening to me, what helped me and may help you was, and I have to apologize to the guest who told me about it. It's been a couple crazy weeks, but and I'll put a link to this episode as soon as I remember in the show notes. Somebody recommended that I actually listen to my heart instead mm -hmm. of listening to my head. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing that for the last couple of weeks. And for the first time in my life, I've actually been able to meditate even just for five minutes because I'm not listening to the New York City subway system of thoughts that runs through my head at any given time. 
I'm actually yeah. getting in touch with my heart and how I want to feel, which for me, my head doesn't provide. Right. You know, and it is very common in our culture to be very focused on our thoughts. You know, I've spent, I don't know how many years in school, but you know, I went through school and, and law school and Almost all of our education is focused on conveying intellectual knowledge. We're a very intellectually focused culture. And so that does mean that when people try meditating and pausing and paying attention to their internal experience, you know, it's very common by default for what draws our internal attention would be thoughts. So I totally get it. I think it's a great suggestion for people. If that's where your mind gravitates when you try meditating and you feel like, wow, this is not good, <laughs> you, you can intentionally put your attention somewhere else, like what your body is feeling at your heart or in your skin, maybe not in your head, because that might draw your attention to your thoughts. And what I say to people who haven't done meditating, if you don't know what it is, there's a lot of, I would say, misconceptions out there about it. Certainly, mindfulness meditation is just about paying attention to what you are feeling. That's really the intention of it. What does my heart feel like now? Try to pay attention and get a, a real, true understanding of what it is uh, without necessarily trying to change it and just to pay attention in the moment to it. And I think it's great suggestion to maybe try that. Or for if, if you're someone who feels like you're in touch with emotions, you know, that might be triggering, but that's another thing to pay attention to other than thoughts. What am I feeling right now? Not bodily sensation, but feeling. Those are other things you can pay attention to. And if you want to limit it to a short period of time, do that. Now, these are all somewhat more informal ways of engaging in mindfulness practice without necessarily doing some kind of formal meditation. I love it. Yeah, I was even thinking, if even your heart or your emotions are too difficult, a, a random thought, I was like, how does your pinky toe feel? You know, <laughs> sometimes we just need to get out of our head. Yeah. And anyone listening, do a search for mindfulness body mm -hmm. scan. Yeah. There's many... I'm just going to promote Insight Timer, which we have no affiliation with, <laughs> you know. It's a popular free uh, meditation app out there. Insight Timer? Insight Timer, yeah. They've become very popular because it started out as just a timer where you could time your meditation. It would ring a bell at the beginning and the end and maybe play sounds. But what really got them very popular is through the app, they make available thousands of pre-recorded guided audio meditations, including from some of the really big, you know, famous meditation teachers out there. But when you mentioned paying attention to your pinky toe, uh, one of the first things people are often taught as an introduction to mindfulness meditation is what's called a body scan, where you close your eyes, you may sit or lay down or otherwise be still. And draw your attention to different parts of your body, often starting from the top or from the bottom at your toe, and move your attention from body part to body part. And you can find lots of audio recordings out there of someone with their voice guiding you through this. Mm. And it's a great way. 
you know, I'll stop talking because the only way to really get it is to do it. <laughs> right. I will put a link in the show notes to Insight Timer, which again, you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP388. Robert, this has been totally enlightening. Thank you so much. Oh, great. I really enjoyed it. It, it was a lot of fun for me. And me as well. Do you have a last piece of parting advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? Yeah, I would say if you want to try to move yourself in a positive direction with your use of technology, I would suggest starting with seeing if you can do one thing at a time more and set your intention at the beginning of the day. I'm going to see if I can do one thing at a time, and then pay attention throughout your day to any opportunities you have <laughs> to limit yourself to one thing. Once you start looking, you'll find them everywhere. We do have lots of specific suggestions, but you know, one of them would be on your desktop or laptop computer. Put whatever you're using in full screen mode. That's one suggestion. But just pay attention. What can I do now at any moment to just engage fully 100% in the one thing I'm doing right now and see what kind of a difference that makes in your daily experience? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.